You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. Hello and welcome to the Mothball Prophecies. I'm Samantha Mashburn. And I'm Jill Huffman. And today we're sitting down with vlogger, appraiser, estate sale consultant, and professional picker. He's the author of Why Don't You Want My Stuff? A Boomer's Guide to Downsizing. Welcome to the show, Josh Levine. Thank you so much for coming to sit on with us today, Josh. I am beyond excited to talk to you. I've been doing my research on you and listen to your book. And I'm excited to get into the side of it with somebody who's been in the business for 20 years. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. I I like to say I've been in the business since I was about three because my parents were in it. So you're kind of stuck in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the side of it that I grew up in. I grew up going to antique stores with my grandmother. My grandmother's house is filled with antiques. And I say often on the show that I always thought people collected plates and crystal and yadros <laughs> and um, like all of that different, like the classic quintessential old lady antiques. Oh, yeah. And then when I got older and I started shopping for myself, I realized that there was a, a whole world out there of collecting and interests. And you had, you know, we, we you wrote in your pre-show questionnaire about your childhood and it struck me as... It's the side of stuff that everybody's kind of afraid of with collecting. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Yeah, it's funny because to me it was completely normal. Like you, like you had said, I was, cause I was born into it. You know, I woke up with stuff. You know, my first earliest memory is waking up in a room full of junk and boxes and stuff. And I just thought that was, everybody had stuff like this. Um, my parents were hoarders and probably not as bad as they could have been in my early years. They were more antiquers and collectors and pickers and couldn't resist a good deal. My father was a professional handler and showed dogs like all over the world. So, but what dog shows are Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they went to antique shop and anything they could buy and flip and sell, they would do. But what happens if you are in this, in the subculture, you go to a storage locker and you buy it because of one thing you wanted and then the rest you know, some people can't let go of, of anything. And so I was raised, I would say quickly, I was raised by hoarders in a boarding kennel. And it sounds, it's great talking point, but it's true. <laughs> it's actually true. My parents uh, raised Newfoundlands, if you know what they oh, are. They're oh, very, wow. Yes. So my friends thought we had black bears and very, <laughs> in, you know, we had bears in the house and it was a very interesting, and we were whelping litters in the house with antiques and collectibles and, and about 19 cats at one point. Oh, um, my gosh. I, which my mother would call in every single night, which was quite amusing. You'd hear her out there, Maka, Chewbacca, <laughs> you know, Mox, Moxie, like, you know, until they all came in. So they all had to come in every night. Uh, uh, but my parents collected mostly dog antiques and paintings and bronzes and sculptures, which is a great thing to collect at the time. But then it became junk. Yeah. And then they mm-hmm. start, and they also couldn't let go of it. So what would happen is things would get damaged and broken or they'd start storing them in outbuildings and units and in tubs outside. And then the snow would come and it would get ruined, you know, and it would be 
if they paid $5 for something and someone offered a hundred, that wasn't enough. And I don't think it wasn't, I don't think it was the profit. I mm-hmm. think it was, they couldn't let go of it. Yeah. Well, and there's also, yeah. there's that high that comes from turning something over in the vintage market. And it's, when you get further into it and you start to know what more things are and you find something for so cheap, knowing you could get X amount of dollars for it. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of chasing that. It's, yeah, it is. I call it chasing the dragon. It's like people go, if you found that one thing that I'm like, all it would do is inspire more, more, mm-hmm. more hunting. And it's funny because I've had a couple of scores in my career where, you know, I made a ton of money off something and then you get stupid. You go, well, I am now an expert in that because <laughs> I sold, I bought one cheap and sold it for a lot of money. So now I must be an expert right. because I spent 20 minutes researching it after the fact, <laughs> you know, and, and you start making stoop. Now you have this nest egg to buy with. So now you're playing in the big leagues and buying higher end items. And guess what? That's not your bread and butter. It's not what you know. And yeah, so there's, I've done all of those fools, you know, fools errand, but I, Again, I still love the bit. It's fun because it's treasure hunting every day. Yeah. And for me, it is about finding the piece and going, wow, that was a great deal. And then get the nice thing is I didn't get the collector gene. I mm-hmm. just didn't. I collect right. those things that I can't figure out. Yeah. And that's kind of that's where I fall mm-hmm. in. Well, and you grew up kind of in the Mecca of antiques. Like you grew up oh, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah, I was in Bucks County and Lehigh County and they're right between Allentown, Philadelphia and New York. And my, on top of it, the dog show circuits Mm. are all up and down the East Coast. So on, you know, in the summers, I would go with my dad and we'd go up to like Brimfield, which is in Massachusetts, which is like, yeah, which is like, I try to explain to people, it's a, it's a flea market where you might see a a (laughs) Tiffany lamp for a million five. Well, like, we call and, it the Antiquer Spartan race because it's so exactly <laughs> it's oh, the Antiquer it, Tough Mudder. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! And, and I, one year I did the uh, you know the thousand mile flea market. You know that's the whole uh-huh. runs from you know Kentucky and and uh, Alabama. It's that's insane too. It I, it blows my mind because we are we're in Idaho and that is just not the culture here with antiquing. It's getting better. Like the vintage side of the world and the culture is getting better here. Mm-hmm. But you could go. I mean, the winter time because it's winter, there will be probably one estate sale the whole oh, winter, yeah. and then yeah. the summer it's mostly yard sales and then people calling yard sales estate sales. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fancy word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because Arizona is this everyone all my antique friends on the East Coast when I was moving out here said I was nuts. They're like there's nothing antique in Arizona. Well, what's funny about that is when I was scouring the country for a place to move to, I literally got in an RV and drove around the whole US. Wow. And the reason Arizona, I mean, and it's funny, it was either Eugene, Oregon or Arizona, which I mean, diametrically, you know, <laughs> opposed, uh, uh, climates, but, yeah. but Arizona, it was like, I looked at Arizona a lot. Like I looked at Florida. Mm-hmm. It's anyone who's going to retire moves here. So if you're from Chicago or West, you move to Arizona to retire. If you're from New York, you know, Philly, you go to Florida. Yeah. And what do you take with you? You your have favorites. your estate sale and your yard sale and you have your estate sale and your yard sale and you sell your junk 
and you take the best of the best with you. Mm-hmm. And then you come here and you die. And I don't mean to say that, you know, you, it's true. It's yeah. life. We yeah. all die. You come here and you die. And then your family goes, I don't want to deal with that stuff. Mm-hmm. So then they needed somebody to help them sell it. So it was a beautiful market here. It still is. Now people are the same thing. I'm starting to see this next, this generation coming up that's in high school right now is getting into antiques and collectibles. Yeah. So it's, you're starting, I'm going to the thrift stores and I'm shocked who I'm seeing there. I'm like, mm-hmm. there's a 15 year old looking at, you know, looking at the glassware. What is going on here? It's a game. It's, it's like a sporting event to them, which is awesome. Yeah. I've that. been, I've been, I go out a lot and my job is like a block away from our goodwill. So if I have a little bit of a break, I run over there and I see like hordes of teenagers, right? Yeah. And I always feel like, what's that meme of like, hello, fellow youth, where he's like holding the skateboard <laughs> with the backwards cap, like, hey, guys, you like vintage too? Me too. <laughs> but I'm always surprised at what I see them hauling out of the thrift store. Like, I will see five or six teenage boys go through the clothing section so yeah. meticulously. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Or and the I, shoes. Yeah. The, sne- I, the sneakers are so huge right now. And it's like, I don't know them well enough. And it, it bothers me because I claim to be the guy that knows all the collectibles. And it's the one genre that I'm like, I need to learn more about Air Jordan. Because <laughs> a buddy of mine just sold a pair of beat up sneakers for five grand. I'm like, I need to know about that. Yeah. You know. Well, and it's interesting because you've worked, you have your 20 years of, well, your lifetime of experience, right? I want to yeah. talk a little bit about, because I think that to a lot of collectors, the appraising and estate sale side of the world is, seems like so secretive and like, how does, so in, in different states have different laws for appraising and auctioneering, right? Some yeah. places you need a license, some places you don't. When exactly. you so let's go back to the beginning of when you started to learn how to appraise. What was that process like then? What did yeah, they teach was, you? No, that's funny, and I tell people that all the day, all the time. I go, go to take a course, and you're an appraiser. There's a lot of uh, learn how to write reports, and you're an appraiser. <laughs> a lot, and, and it's, and I don't mean to say there are some really great appraisal schools, you know, like ASA and things like that that are really in depth and like a three year program where you know you. You take, but uh, most like GPPA, which is a guaranteed personal property appraiser, is it's a program that's really teaching you report writing. The actual learning of valuation comes from being exposed to it uh-huh. and in in it, and you're really learning it from past sales results. Like you have to know, and there's two different types of appraisals. So you have fair market, which is What's it going to sell for if I put it on eBay right now? Yeah, and look you at know? those and sold then, prices. Or or at auction, at public auction. What is it going to bring? And in my market, you know, am I online or am, is it something, if I'm going to have to sell furniture, I'm obviously not going to put my dining room set on eBay because someone's not going to, you know, click a mouse and go, oh, poof, it appeared in my house. <laughs> but, and then there's insurance appraisal and people understanding the difference that the insurance appraisal, what's it going to cost if I go to the store and buy it? What's it going to cost at an antique store? What's it going to cost? Like what if I had to buy it right now and there was no market forces at play, I needed to replace it. What would it cost me? Like replacements.com. So that's, so that's the difference with them, but it does seem like a secret thing, but it's not. I mean, I use, there's so much, so many free tools out there for people to use like live auctioneers. You can search their past sales history for free. Um, eBay, you can search their past mm-hmm. sales history for free. 
You can pay for sites like WorthPoint, which are good, where you can search a longer a swath of time. So if you find a Pinocchio marionette doll, you know, and you want to know exactly what they're selling for, you can go in the last three years, 20 of these sold for $60. So it's like a, it's like a, I call it a batting average. Okay. You know, so if, if it's 50, 60, 70, 70, 60, 50, 50, 50, you go, okay, they're 60 bucks. Yeah. You know, now it could be 50 bucks. It could be 70 bucks, but you're going to be close. So that's really how it's done. But the, the licensing and all that usually seems to be conforming to an appraisal report writing method and the tool and, and documenting what you do to can't come to your price instead of just going, because I say so, mm. you know, you know, yeah. and there, there's some on, there's some, uh, on, on, uh, YouTube and, and, uh, online experts that literally will just, I call a shotgun appraisal. You show them something, they'll go, I don't know what it is, but these are a hundred bucks. Mm, I see. You know. So for, for layman's terms, what is a appraisal report? Yeah. The appraisal report itself is actually the document that it, it, it shows an overview of what the items are you're appraising, like the process in which you determine your, your method, okay. your, which appraisal method, what the purpose of the appraisal was, which is very important, has to be documented. Like you asked me to do this appraisal for insurance and you wanted to know, should something happen, this happened. To determine what it was worth, I went to these three stores, these three stores. So it can be a lengthy process, and that's why an appraiser charges typically like an attorney by right. the hour. So, you know, an appraisal, an appraiser, depending on their expertise, might charge $75 an hour or $500 an hour, depending on what you're having them do. Yeah. And sometimes it might only take them 15 minutes. So just like an attorney, it might be like this appraisal is $35. A lot of jewelry appraisers will do that because it's, I call it, it's like apples to apples. It's a 14 carat gold ring with a one carat ruby. Mm -hmm. They sell for X. My report's already pretty much written. All I have to do is change a couple specs. It takes me 15 minutes. So the appraisal is $35. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's just, it's very, it's so interesting. Cause I just, I, because I've never been exposed to something like that. I didn't realize there was so much background stuff that was happening when somebody says this was appraised for. Well, and there's a lot of sketchy sketch jewelry, especially there is some seriously sketchy out there. Um, GIA is like the only one I know of that's like, you know, militant about it. It's mm -hmm. like, if you get a GIA certificate, what it says, you can pretty much take that to the bank. But some of the ones that some of the online jewelers will have, when you Google them, it's like the, you know, oh, they have 12 police reports and FBI investigations <laughs> going on because, or, or the places that say we guarantee the rings we sell to sell for four times what the insurance replacement value is. And we're going to even give you that document because we wrote it ourselves, right. you know, so. And who's this? And it's some of it's subjective. So there's nothing. If I say this ring's worth $10,000, who's to say it's not? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's the kind of thing. Well, and there's that circle too of value, collectability, and market desire, where you may have something that you bought 20 years ago for $30,000 that right now you couldn't give it away. Oh, I call, yeah, I, unfortunately, the hardest thing in our industry was, you know, the messenger. You're shot when you mm -hmm. walk in. When you're the first person to tell a family that, 
you're, it doesn't matter. And there's a, a term, I love this. There's a great book called Irrational Predictability. And they talk about a price anchor. And it's the anchor that you throw over your back like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Ebenezer Scrooge, buddy. You know, he's like walking around with these chains because I paid 30000 It's got to have appreciated because yeah. because all your investments appreciated? Not necessarily. Yeah. You know, it's like it's people just assume, well, it's a painting. I paid thirty grand, so by inflation, it's worth fifty grand. And instead, no, it's worth fifty dollars. Yeah. Because and we and here's why. And that's the nice thing about an appraisal. You go, here's all my evidence. And I I really love it in the print market because you can take a print that it'll say one of two hundred, and I'll show the people thirty of them that have sold in the last year on eBay the actual sales records, the date it sold for how much it sold for. It's exactly what they have. And they'll, and there's a, there's an attachment you have when you own something that it's worth more than someone else's. Mm-hmm. Same, it can be apples to apples, same car, same motorcycle, same. And people go, no, mine's cooler because yeah. the memories mean something to you yeah. and you don't even realize it's happening. So, but I love, I love that stuff. Just playing psychologist. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and it's also when, when you're given a family heirloom and you're given the story of it from a loved one and they're telling you how important it was to them, that also increases the emotional value versus the monetary value of something. Oh yeah. Well, I, I got a, gr- I got a great one for that. Pocket watches. Every time I do an appraisal fair, a family, someone will come in with a pocket watch and they come in and they go, this was my great, great grandfather's pocket watch. He was the first banker at the bank on third street in Schenectady, New York. His name was Albert Smith. And they'll be like, tell me the whole provenance of the piece, the whole thing. And I love that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's so cool. And I open it up and I say to them, okay. You see the serial number on this? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, mm. that dates it to 1893. They're like, whoa, this was made in 1893 by Elgin. Wow. It's worth about $50. And they go, what? Why is it? No, no, this is, this is my, this is my family's heirloom. I said, to you and someone in your family, it may be worth a fortune, but to the world, I said, see that serial number that says 300,647? This is the iPhone of that generation. Mm. They made hundreds of millions of these pocket watches. No joke. So supply and demand, every family has one and no one threw them away. Yeah. So your family's is just as important to you as just important to everybody else. So it's a beautiful piece, wonderful story, great heirloom. Now, if it belonged to Abraham Lincoln, whole nother <laughs> animal. And, 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 and that's true. Well, and I want to say too, for the listeners that are listening today, this this conversation is not to say the things you have in your collection are not valuable. Sometimes it's more important to hold on to something that you have a great love for than exactly. cash in on it. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. No, there's, this, it's very particular of like, if you're going to buy to sell to, to make money in that market, then yes, this is the conversation you should be having with yourself. But we always say on the show, if you see something that speaks to you and you love it, buy it regardless of what it's going to resell for or how it's going to increase that kind of thing. Oh yeah. I'm telling people that all the time. And I see there's like a beauty in that passing of these things down. And I'm sad when I see like even a valuable piece that a family has to give up that has such great stories. Mm -hmm. And again, but it's always one or two pieces. And that's what I try to tell people. I'm like, like if when my father passed away, do you know what I wanted? 
his cracked coffee mug Mm -hmm. because it was the coffee mug that annoyed my mother because it had that, you know, that crack that porcelain gets that just sweats and Mm -hmm. and bleeds a little bit of liquid. My father had this giant coffee mug that he refused to get rid of that every time he'd pour a cup of coffee, it'd just be like, drip, (laughs) drip. And he refused to get rid of that coffee cup. But it's what I I just remember them having several arguments. He's like, I like this cup. Like it was his cup. It's the only thing I kept. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing I wanted because it was him. It meant something to me. That cup's not worth a dollar. You know, it's like, but it, it, it means something to me. So I, that's what I'm always trying to impress upon people. But if they had a set of silver flatware that wasn't monogram, that wasn't, that was my great, great grandmother's and it was silver and they said, Hey, you can get five grand for it. I didn't eat off it. Doesn't mean anything to me. Right. I did the same thing when my grandpa passed away, when I would go over and cut hair. I'm a hairdresser by trade. When I would go to their house and cut hair, my grandpa would always make us a cup of coffee. And so we would always sit and have a black cup of coffee on the deck. And when he died, I told my grandma, I said, I want his French press and I want his coffee cup. And the coffee cup, he worked for the nuclear reactor site where we live. And they had all these mugs made and it was at a convention in Vegas and they handed them out and then they went, oh, fuck, these are we should not have handed these out because they said glowing with pride. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's awesome. See, so I just they, they tried to gather everybody's <laughs> up and my grandpa put his in his pocket and he's like, to hell you say, I'm not giving you this cup back. <laughs> exactly. And so that was that was the thing I took from the house also because I'm like the only one in my family that cares about what the vintage and antiques are. So every time I go to my grandma's house, she's like, remember what I told you this was? And remember what I told you that was? And remember what this is? And I'm like, yes, I know that. And that makes you the curator of the family, Mm -hmm. which is an awesome thing to be. And that's people need, that's what I'm trying to get people to care like Mm -hmm. about this stuff. I don't want you to be a hoarder. I don't want you to be attached to the stuff, but I want you to know there's so many lessons that we can learn in every single piece we have. Yes. The history is awesome. I mean, if you don't, I mean, just what watch what people watch on on Netflix and Hulu and and the shows that are really popular right now. It's fascinating the history of every one of these pieces. Mm-hmm. And there was I was listening to your book, and there was something that struck me about when you were going to people's houses for estates, and you were you were they would tell you, oh, before you came, I had this big dumpster. We cleaned a bunch of stuff out, so it'd be uh. easier for you, right? We absolutely hate that. <laughs> we went to a sale where the woman was ninety years old. And they had cleared six dumpsters out of the house before we got there. Yep. And she didn't have anything newer in that house from 75. Oh, yeah. All mid-mod. That whole house was mid-mod. No, before 75. Nothing that's after. What I, yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. All this awesome mid-century just mm-hmm. got tossed away. Yeah. Yeah. And she... So we were walking and then I went to... There was... um, We were just like, oh, my God, please don't throw stuff away. And then I went to... Somebody had posted Jadeite online. And it was a, it was probably 20 to 30 pieces and they wanted 50 bucks. And I messaged and I was like, Hey, can I come get this? And so I get there and you do as you do when you're buying stuff and you go, are you selling anything else? And I realize it's like a 3000 square foot house and I can see stuff from the front door that I'm like, Oh shit, there's a lot of stuff (laughs) in this house. So I say, are you selling anything else? And they walk me around and then I see the garbage and I'm like, Hey, I'm, can I get, Well, I just said, I said, hey, have you guys had anybody come in and look at your stuff? And they were like, no. And I said, okay, can I walk around with you and tell you what stuff is so you don't throw it away? And he kind of looks at me and I was like, I've I've been in this world for a long time. 
Like I have a podcast. I know a little bit about a lot. And I said, you have in this donation box to Goodwill, you have an entire set of etched depressing glass that's uranium glass and that's really hot right now and you probably yeah. shouldn't donate it. And it's glowing in the back right now. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It behind me. It's my favorite. So I walked around their house with them and they had, I mean, every corner of the collection market there and they had marbles, they had pottery, they had art glass, they had ceramic and art pottery. They had bisque dolls, porcelain dolls, rubber face dolls, celluloid dolls, like everything. And I was just like, how old was your mom? Because she <laughs> oh, collected. Yeah, yeah. So I just said, and then I said, what did you throw away? And he goes, well, just a yeah. bunch of paper stuff. Yeah. And I went, uh, do you know how much some paper stuff goes for? Yeah. Yeah. The ephem- I'm, like the ephemera is, you know, people's personal letters. One of the, I, I've seen people throw away like bo- the shoe boxes of grandpa's oh. letters from World War II. And, and I'll tell people like, I, they're like, well, who, who wants to read what my grandpa wrote to my grandma? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you'd be surprised. Everybody. There's, um, yeah. I mean, I've sold collections like that for two and three thousand dollars for like shoot just a sh- here's a shoebox of letters from World War II because of the guy's ranking and who you know he was right what he was writing about yeah. you just read a couple of them and you're like oh my gosh this guy is like talking about the war and it's like really interesting so someone will you know be a curator of this who will pay you a couple of thousand dollars for this and no people just throw it away mm-hmm. let's talk about some of those things that if you're inside the world of vintage and reselling. What are some of the things that people wouldn't think are resellable? Uh, oh, I got a bunch of weird ones. Let's uh, do it. Those are my favorite. Okay. Firecracker labels. <gasps> the packages that firecrackers come in from oh. the 50s can be worth a fortune. I'd buy them. Or I, yeah. <laughs> so it's the art. The art on the labels from the 50s are, is really, really, it's really beautiful. And it's a lot like cigar labels, except everyone threw them away. So to find a pack from the 50s, with an interesting, you know, draw. I mean, again, two hundred dollars or five thousand dollars. I mean, they're all over the map. But would you throw away a hundred bucks? I wouldn't. No. And then uh, hunting licenses and fishing licenses. Weird stuff people collect. You know, everybody knows baseball cards and comic books. I should say that, but I still hear horror stories of throwing away any kind of toy, even the not, you know, even more modern toys. Like people will scoff at like the nineties toys, and they're now the hot. They're the rage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. Perfume bottles. Now, I'm not talking Avon. I mean, there, there are a few Avon bottles that are actually worth money. Very few. Yeah. And unfortunately, those are the people that always collect them. They're like, I got my mom's Avon bottle. <laughs> Do you have your mom's old French perfume bottles? Because yeah. they can be worth a fortune. But that's the kind of stuff people clean out medicine cabinets, old food contain, like old boxes of cereal. Mm-hmm. You know, there's hmm. people that collect that stuff. Toy, the premium toys. Now, so, like Cracker Jack stuff. Oh, number one, in the desk. I always call this that junk drawer. That, you know, grandma's junk drawer probably has a thousand bucks in it and you don't know it because she has old pens in there. She has old lighters in there and that stuff's uh-huh. all money. Lighters. Uh, I, it's funny. I, I was tobaccoiana or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Like smoking collectibles. I used to always make a joke. I'm like, Hey, smoking's coming back. It's going to be really <laughs> cool. I mean, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like, oh gosh, what are the, how can I not think of the e-cigarettes? It's like vaping, only oh, retro. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's, it's like vaping, but retro. <laughs> and, but it's funny because 
people don't realize that like the smoking collectibles and it's not because people are smoking they collect it's madman mm-hmm. it, it's it's madman it looks cool it's like the old barware old barware there's another one mm-hmm. that's really hot right now you know cocktail yeah. shakers and that's the stuff people donate i mean i i have a list of things i'm actually i'm i'm currently working on on a, a new book and it's <laughs> just about things people collect and it was inspired by a guy a, one of these young guys that go to goodwill who on I did a YouTube video, you know, 10 tips for, you know, shopping at Goodwill, mm-hmm. you know, techniques I use. And the guy goes, shut up, old man. We know all this. And I'm like, but I love that. Actually, it made me laugh. I was like, hey, kids watching me. You know, so, <laughs> so and and he said, don't let people in on the secret, because what you're doing is ruining it for those of us that collect. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's so not that's so myopic. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is. The more people into this, the more stuff that's worth money, the more nostalgic we get, mm-hmm. at, and the more we're all hunting, it makes other collectibles worth more money. Yes. And it also makes them out there, not in collections, more rare, et cetera, et cetera. However, I also said, I, what I said to the guy is, you need to bone up on what you know. I said, you need to educate yourself. I said, because I used to go to toy auctions. I used to buy and sell vintage toys. And then everybody got into it. They started following my eBay handle and they would go, Oh, look, he just made this on this. So every time he bids, I'm going to bid. Cause if I only bid like a dollar more than he paid, I'm going to still double my money. And I'm like, Oh man, I can't buy a toy anywhere. Well, I better, <laughs> I better learn about something else. How about costume jewelry? So I learned about Weiss and Eisenberg and Carnegie and all this. And then all of a sudden everybody was buying costume jewelry. I better learn about. Fire King and Jadeite. And I better learn about these things. So I started mm-hmm. buying that. Then everybody started. Then Martha Stewart reproduced it oh, and God. killed all of it. Right? Killed the market. <laughs> but that's, and that's also what I say. Watch for the reproductions mm-hmm. and watch for, you know, what they're starting to reproduce. And that's what'll show you what the real, the real, real is worth the most money. So yeah. it's, again, there's so many things out there that people, Christmas ornaments. How could I miss Christmas ornaments? That's been the dumpsters I've seen. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. saw a dumpster that probably had a hundred grand in Christmas oh, ornaments oh, in it. That's what they threw Same. away out of that house. They went, yeah. we threw away all the tattered Christmas, and I'm like, oh god. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just saw a collection of the figural light bulbs oh. sell sell for nine thousand dollars at an auction shit. in Pennsylvania, and it's like <laughs> nine grand. And you know how many of those have been thrown away in the last month, probably in America. Oh, I mean, oh especially no in the knows. last year with the pandemic of people. Yeah, spring cleaning because you're stuck in spring forever. So yeah. we're all <laughs> we're all cleaning out and remodeling, yeah. and driving up the price of wood. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, I was I had a lot of projects planned for the summer that are not going to happen <laughs> now. Me too. Yes. And to touch on what that that person said to you in your YouTube comment too, I say it in the same thing in my industry, right? Hairdressers have always been afraid to share their color formulas, to share their process, to share this. And I'm like, listen, motherfuckers, none of us learned how to do any of this without a mentor. You did not learn how to do a bob without watching something that Vidal Sassoon did. You did not learn how to do a shag without watching Sally Hirschberger. Like, these things did not come to you innately. Like, yeah, sure, there's savants in everything, but yeah. you did not learn your trade because you're just that smart. You learned it because somebody else was like, hey, what about this? What about that? Exactly. Like, just to give you an example of that, one of my best friends since I've been three years old, he's the one that turned me on to reselling on eBay when eBay first came out. He had heard about it and was like, 
hey man, why don't you take all that junk, musical junk you have in all your old toys from when you were a kid and sell them on eBay? I'm like, why would somebody want to buy my old toys? Why does somebody want my Kiss Mego <laughs> dolls? You know, I don't know, and my lunch boxes. But if I went, if he wouldn't have showed me how to do it, I wouldn't be in this industry. Right. You know, Lord knows what I'd be doing. You know, and just like that, everything I've learned. It's and a friend of mine that's a mentor in in the entrepreneurial world. He always says, like, we're not nothing we're doing is original. Everybody's every business book written is a copy of somebody else. It's all. It's all, you know, the Rockefeller habits and the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you're copying Rockefeller's habits. It's mm-hmm. like there's, you know, everybody writes about Bill Gates and about, uh, uh, gosh, Steve Jobs, I'm going to Apple guy, you know, and all you're doing is copying their habits. What did they do? What can we learn from what they did? We yeah. just all, and that's also history repeats itself in the good stuff and history repeats itself in the bad stuff mm-hmm. too. So well, that's maybe- why we got it. Maybe you'll agree with my theory on this of, so everybody has their local markets, right? And what sells well on their Facebook before Facebook did their marketplace thing. You have this stuff that always gets left at estates and whatever, right? And now that there's a world market of shopping online, I feel like even if you feel like you can't sell that vintage in your area, you could turn to put it online if it's reasonable to ship and get fair market value, right? Yes, exactly. One of the things I'm trying to work on is, is how to cleanly explain to people that there is a market for everything. And what, and it's just what you want to mess with. Mm-hmm. There is a market for everything. And how do we streamline making that decision process of what market you want to trade in? Because you can buy at your local, uh, you know, local auctions and then sell it on, you know, on Facebook marketplace and on offer up. And then there's a world that you can sell these things on eBay because it's a little higher end of a market for the collectible, but it's only good for X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. It's only good for toys and videos and, 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 and that kind of thing. Well, then you have Etsy and what's good on Etsy and what's good on, you know, these other platforms. And then there's a whole nother world of high end auctions and mid level auctions where you could also consign to them mm-hmm. and resell. But you need to know about all of them and what their food groups are and what they accept and what they're looking for. And I've noticed just from my show, I do this show called Last Week at the Auction where I'm trying to show, I'm trying to educate mm-hmm. people. I try to pick out 10 different things that sold and what they sold for and why they sold for that amount of money. And sometimes it's the demographic and the area. Sometimes it's like, well, in North Carolina, these bring crazy money. But if you tried to sell one in LA, you wouldn't get five bucks for it. Mm-hmm. But if you got one for fifty dollars in in Idaho, and you can sell it for five thousand in North Carolina, you'll figure out how to get it there. Yeah, yeah. Well, because yeah. people in our area are notoriously cheap. Yeah, <laughs> like notoriously oh, cheap. Well, that's how areas of Pennsylvania were, and all that. Like, and and just the difference of that. Like, I would be shopping in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and one suburb, like you know, the prices were. They were selling box lots for a dollar, and then the ne- next you couldn't touch things, mm-hmm. you know. And it was never what you thought. Like you would go out to these farm. I remember I went out to an auction in State College, Pennsylvania, which is where Penn State is, but it's also I call it West Virginia because between Allen, between Philadelphia and and Pittsburgh is West Virginia. You know, Harrisburg might skip that, but the, everything else is like you're in the sticks. Mm-hmm. And I would go to auctions out there, and there would be. I remember going out and they had a Gustav Stickley corner cupboard, if you know what Stickley is. 
but they had a signed Gustav Stickley corner cupboard. And I went there and I'm like, I want to buy this for 500 bucks. After it sold for 120,000 at a cash auction, it got picked up and taken away in a helicopter. And we were just like, what happened? Oh, like, everybody was there like, right now. <laughs> yeah, it was like, what happened? You know what? They, and the, the people, and there were toys at that auction. I couldn't touch anything. And it was a cash auction. Like you had Jesus. to buy on the spot. I mean, these, there's money out there buying the stuff. I've been to auctions up in the hills in Arizona. I mean, out in the, not in town, like in, and desert. And they'll have like, you know, Western sale and the prices are just legendary. And they're not, they're not out there on the market. You're not seeing them, their auction records, cause they're not online. Wow. And, but it's happening. So you, but once you learn that, you go, Hey, if I find a, you know, turquoise belt buckle, I should probably take it up there and have them sell it. Mm-hmm. So, but that's, but how do you learn all that and know all that? What's the best marketplace and what are you content with? And yeah. sometimes it's, I don't want to sit on this thing for six months because who knows what'll happen. I want to, you know, we could have a pandemic, you know? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> well, and I was talking to one of my friends, Jasmine, the other day, and we were talking about when, when you go into an antique store as somebody who buys things generally not in an antique store. And you're yeah. looking at stuff and you're like, geez, I can't believe they have that price on there. But I started to use that time when I'm at an antique store to see what's in people's booths for that price. Oh, yeah. Cause no, that's a great place to do educate yourself. Prime exam. It is. It's like, it's, it's, it's like a library for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that stuff. And there, there's good antique stores and there's bad antiques. Yeah. Yeah. And I watch there's a lot, there's this huge kind of undercurrent of online Facebook auctions. Of happening yes. in different groups. And I like, like we have some friends that do uh, corkscrew curiosities. They do online auctions and I can't even come to bat. The people that show up to pay for their oddities come with like seven paychecks. I'm certain because it is the oddities market for medical oddities and not even stuff that you think of being like quack, but like bottles and ephemera and models and things like that. I'm like, wow. Yeah. There's, I, I want to learn more about that because I was like a pioneer in the late 90s, early 2000s of <laughs> online auctions, of like live mm-hmm. streaming webcast auctions. And this, like you said, it is a cult underground. Of, I can't remember. There's a woman in Florida that has one like every Friday night. She's she's selling like, you know, here, I got an old keychain uh-huh. and it'll sell for like $8. I'm like, I'll go buy box lots and just milk, you sit at my desk and milk out stuff for eight bucks, eight bucks, eight bucks. It's, it's such an odd thing for me. It's because the registration and everything seems like it's complicated, even though I'm sure it's not. Well, and I think, I don't know a ton about it, but I've seen some conversation happen in these groups of people that are in different states because every state is different with their licensing. So some states are cracking down on online Facebook auctions if it requires an auctioneer license. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're, yeah, and that, there's about 27 states right now. I, you know, I was in the NAA for years and there's about 27 states that require licensure. And then there's ones that do not that mm-hmm. some surprise me because they have like Arizona because they have a lot of elderly people here. Mm-hmm. But then like and California and a lot of them have them, but they're not really. It's just you go to school for a week and you're you're an auctioneer. Yeah. You know, Idaho doesn't some, require them. Yeah. So Facebook and all that, they don't have. Yeah, they don't, a lot of the Midwest doesn't, doesn't have them. Yeah. Um, Pennsylvania was a very strict and so was Florida, which made a lot of sense. And because there were a lot of auctions going on, but it's, it's a funny, it's a funny industry because of that. Because 
what, why I got my license in Pennsylvania is because I was doing eBay services for people. I was mm-hmm. selling stuff on eBay for them, like a drop shop. This is in once I started realizing it was cool. Yeah. And, and then some auctioneers reported me and said to the state and said, Hey, he's acting like an auctioneer, even though I'm a consignment shop. Right. You're dropping it off. I'm putting it online. And I, I but anyway. But I, I, you know, instead of fighting the man, I was like, okay, you want me to be an auctioneer? I'm going to start selling other stuff too. Because mm-hmm. at that point, I wouldn't mess with furniture and all that. So I'm like, okay, if I'm going to get my license, I'm going to sell everything you sell. And by the way, I'm going to sell it online to a larger global audience and you're going to hate me. And they did, you know, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was so be mad about it. Yeah. Cause I used to walk and I remember in the early days, you would walk in, I would walk in an auction to buy to resell and they were like, like you were, they called you an eBayer, like it was a dirty or a curse word. Mm-hmm. He's an eBayer. Sorry, I have a larger marketplace than you. Is that why you hate me? Like it's like, and you know, and then then they were like, "Could you put this on eBay for me?" I'm like, "Oh, now you like me, you know." <laughs> yeah. But those people educated me to the market. I mean, they did because these old timers would come up to me like, "Hey, I got this old Stanley Number Three plane." And it's worth a lot of money. This little wood plane, you know, this little tiny wood joiner plane. I'm like, oh, that's cool. He goes, yeah, put it up for auction. And we sell for like $900. I'm like, I'm going to be looking for these. Right. You know, so. Mm. And the reason I then transitioned into selling for other people at the time was I would feel guilty if I went to a yard sale and bought something for $5 that I knew was worth a thousand. I would feel guilty about it. And it was like, I wished. Whatever voice that was in my head, I wish I could shut it off. Like, shut up, you know. (laughs) It's funny how now that I have a daughter at fifty, I have a two and a half year old. I was like, I got a mouth to feed, Uh you know. So now it's like, hey, I tried to tell you, I have a, I'm giving away the information for free on my Mm -hmm. YouTube channel. If you don't want to watch it. And you're having a yard sale for five bucks. Okay, I'll buy it for five bucks. Well, it's also right now pricing and finding out what something is is so much easier than it's ever been. I mean, you have Google Lens, you have eBay, you have all this different, like you talked about at the top of the show. You have so many places to, you don't even have to know what something is made out of. Exactly. And let me tell you something. It's going to, this year, by the end of this year, it will be completely Star Trek. They have it so dialed in now. eBay is working on an app. Well, they just, they just launched the part, uh, that reads like a Pokemon card. It'll Mm -hmm. list a Pokemon card from a photo. But WorthPoint is working on the AI for their app where it's going to be, and I'm probably not supposed to tell people, but I didn't sign a non disclosure. (laughs) But you, you snap a picture and it will literally write the description for you. So you literally, yes, exact game changer. Now, you like people so in the industry like auctioneers are terrified of it appraisers are terrified of it and i go don't be mm-hmm. these are tools for you because guess what people are still lazy and don't want to do it for themselves yeah and it made your job easier mm-hmm. so it's like i have an app for 29 dollars. i'm going to come to your house and inventory your house and give you a appraisal report and you're still going to pay me right but that's it that's the easy part of this whole thing is finding out what it is in the price. And then you have the yes. next part, which is listing, shipping, all of that it's, stuff. Yes. And there are people working on a solution for that too. And that's the, what I'm really into right now is that trying to come up with how, you know, my dream has always been like, 
how do I offer free shipping on a dining room set? Mm -hmm. And I think the world is this close to figuring it out. You know, Wayfair and Amazon, they've all done it. But there are subcontractors doing all this transporting. And if we can figure out how to make stuff go from point A to point B, it will open the, the world market will truly be a world market. And those people who are upset about it, don't be instead of a flea market subculture, you're going to be sell, your marketplace will go. Mm-hmm. I got 2 billion people I'm selling to. How many people are you selling yeah. to? You know, 30 also, that showed up. Yeah. I also really like how, you know, for the first time in a little while, there's a lot of younger generations that are paying attention. Like our age group, the millennial generation and down is paying attention more to vintage and the stories behind stuff and rescuing things. We call it vintage foster care where you take something in for a moment of time before you sell it. Cause you're like, this is special. It belongs to somebody else. I should probably hold on to it. And I feel like that's also coming from the consumer capitalist mindset of you don't always need new things. And with that reducing, whatever footprint you're creating people are going out like i want to like here's the vintage tip of the week if you are going to buy stuff for your office go to the thrift store first go to garage sales first go to yeah. estate sales <laughs> first Sing it, sister. To yeah. buy Sing it. Yeah. the shit you need like you can find poly mailers you can find rulers you can find boxes you could find Price tags, everything. Yeah. Are you in my garage? I, right, so. <laughs> I literally did yesterday at a at a at an estate sale. I I've wanted a hole punch. You know, I couldn't find a hole punch anywhere. And I walk in the store. I'm like sixteen dollars for a hole punch. I bought a bag that had a hole punch, six rulers, three magnifying glasses, twenty pens, every paper clip size I will ever need in my life for two dollars. Mm-hmm. You are, and that's the thing. Like people, and then but there are people that also struggle with. Will I become a hoarder if I mm-hmm. buy that when I don't need it? And when I need it, it won't be there. So mm-hmm. it's convenience. But the beauty of what you just said, there's so many things in there. The, I love to see, we all, you know, we in this industry and people try to say we're conscious of the environment and all this stuff. There's nothing greener than this industry. Mm-hmm. There's nothing greener than what we're doing. The technology is becoming our friend. The reselling of it's going to be better because again, when someone needs that stapler now, they might pay a couple extra dollars. They don't want to pay nineteen dollars, but right. they'll pay three, and I have nothing into it. Mm-hmm. So that's three dollars I didn't have. So if I can make that a smooth transition where I don't have to go to the post office with it, so there's so much room for entrepreneurial growth in it. It's green as green can be, and what you were talking about being the curators of these things. The NFTs and this new technology coming, I'm going to blow your mind. That is going to literally, when you have your grandfather's pocket watch and you know the story and you document it and you're not going to have to type it because you'll be able to say it, dragon speak, right into the app. Every time that thing sells from now until the end of history, it has a chain of custody Mm -hmm. and it's all, it's all documented. Every, imagine everything having provenance in a story. Yeah. And think of how wicked, because do you know how many pieces I have that I go, if I only knew the story behind it, I'd probably never sell half the stuff mm-hmm. because it'd be like, oh my gosh, this was so cool. This was at, you know, this anyway, but you get me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the green aspect of it is incredible, but also the way people are going to buy and sell and own pieces of things that you couldn't own before. Mm-hmm. So I, I love where it's headed. And it's going to be a mess for like five, 10 years until <laughs> yeah. we figure out what's best. And that's when the market will decide what the best solution was for it. Mm-hmm. But I, I just love this industry and there is room for it in this high tech world and this, 
It's going to only make it cooler. There's also something coming out with the NFTs with like, you're going to buy digital assets. Like art will no longer be a painting you're buying. Mm -hmm. You're going to buy the digital art that you're going to hang on your digital wall and on your digital screen and, and only see it when you have in, in augmented reality, when you have your glasses on. Yeah. And that is coming. It's not Star Trek. It's happening. When I see companies like Lego and everybody investing in it, it's real. You know, it's, it's here. It's only going to make our cool stuff worth more money. Yeah. So it's yeah. all good. And if, if production stops, I would love reproductions to stop to save the economy, also to drive up the value of all our junk. <laughs> so it's, these are all beautiful things and it's coming. So yeah. And I think too, it's, um, like we've been paying for digital art for a long time. Like people that buy wallpapers for their phones or their yes. computers or different, yeah. like there's stuff that we pay for that if you would have told somebody 50 years ago, I'm going yeah. <laughs> to, they would be like, shut up, get out of my face. Exactly. And, and that music was free. Mm -hmm. And you'd say, Hey, my music's going to be free, but I'm going to pay for a, a piece of color on my phone. But also the phones like baseball cards and Pokemon cards. What's the difference between this? If I have mm -hmm. a card on here that I'm the only one that has it, what's the difference? Yeah. yeah. There is no difference. It's an action. It's safer. It's safer. I'm not going to, I'm not going to crease it. I'm not going to damage it. You know, it's not. But it also drive up the real ones. Yeah. And I but also think this digital market also offers a little bit more checks and balance on resellers and people that are in the market because the word of mouth and all of those different things kind of get around. And if you like are finding a reseller that's like scamming somebody or they're buying stuff or they're selling broken stuff or they're selling this, they're going to get weeded out a lot faster than somebody that's in your hometown antique store that just sells junk. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because I was afraid to get back on eBay after I had a business crisis that we could talk about for eons after I lost my last business. I had to get back into eBay and I was like, I haven't done this in like four years. Has it changed? Mm. What do I know? I mean, cause it was awful at the end, like four or five years ago. And what happened was eBay and all these sites wanted to be Amazon. Yeah. So they were like, we're not an online auction anymore. So now we're going to attract all these people that like Amazon, which is great, except for the fact they get something and go, uh, this is used. And you're like, Yes. Did you read my description? <laughs> 1920 has small cracks and dings and damages. But where's its box? You're like, what? This is from 1920. Yeah. This is like, it didn't say with box, you know, like, but people stopped reading and they bought from a picture. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing that it's, it's a, it's back now. It's actually the collectors are there again and they know, you know, they know what they're buying and people, people are, you know, from Amazon, they expect one thing, and from eBay, they expect another. And but what happened, like I said, when you mix markets like that, it's it's a it's tough because people don't understand. So, but I do love, like you said, about the feedback and that people can say, "Hey, this guy always describes his stuff right," and all this. Mm -hmm. And then you can all, but you can also do the same about the buyers and go, "This guy's an idiot," you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's because the buyer. One thing on eBay and PayPal, it used to be. The buyer's not always right. They're not. You know, you would do everything to describe something properly and still get it back. Mm -hmm. And it, it was frustrating. But now it's it's really like the market. People read, you know, they're reading or following. But the cool thing is I pretty, I think everybody takes in information differently. Some people are visual. Some people have to see it. Some mm -hmm. people, and I think 
these apps in the next year or two will do all of the above. So you're a listener. You like you, you're like me. I ought to, someone go, you read that book. Oh yeah. It's awesome. I didn't technically read it. You know, sorry. To it. sorry. <laughs> me reading it would get nothing out of it. I drift off into la la land. Yeah. I'm but pretty sure I have like undiagnosed ADHD. Cause if I sit down yeah. to read, I start thinking about something I did seven <laughs> weeks ago and then I start yes. thinking about making a cake and then I start thinking about this and then I'm like, shit, I just read three chapters and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I rewrite the book in my head. I'm like, you know, it would be much better if I said, if the dragon did this in the book. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, so I just, I want, I want people to really like digest this stuff, enjoy it, love antiques and collectibles. And if they don't find somebody that does, yeah. do you know, one of the things I wanted to point out when we were talking about being the curator and how you're the curator for stuff and like in your family, there's, People want, you will find the collectors, the grandmother wants someone that loves their stuff as much as they do mm -hmm. and not about the value. Yep. That's more important. There's been so many times I've told somebody something's worth $50 and they're furious. I go, but I know someone that collects that. Mm -hmm. And they're like, will they take care of it for the next 30 years? Like I did. Yeah. And you know what? They're now going to record its history and know about you and know about the story and that. Your mother bought this, et cetera, et cetera. So, well, Jill and I both had that experience this weekend. We went yard sailing and I stopped in at this one that was marked as an estate sale. And it was, but the, it had really cleared out because their prices were at, so cheap. Yeah. And yeah. so we go and it was a smoker's house. And so I didn't buy a lot of plush things or anything like that. But I've been really looking at more art recently. This show has really opened my eyes to art and things like that. And so I'm digging through the boxes, and the first thing I see is this embroidered, it's two deers on a creek bed with fall trees behind them, and it's embroidered on silk, and it's framed. Yeah. And I was like, mine. And then I noticed that there was this crayon or pastel painting of a cowboy on a bull, and he's holding the bull by the tail. Oh, yeah. And it says, Theo Pettengill, in a question mark. And it was framed and matted and all this stuff. And I Oh, was yeah, you're just... Looking you at just it, buy it. I, yeah, and I said, okay, so I'm going to get this, this, and um, I think a paintbrush. And I said, how much do you want for the paintings? Which always say, how much do you want? Don't yes, offer a yes, price. You don't. So I said, how much do you want? And she goes, a buck a piece. And yeah. I went sold. And they it was run by the family, and they said we didn't think anybody would buy that. And I said, oh, I said he's going in my personal collection in my basement i said he's going to be loved by lots of people and they one of the daughters started to cry and she was like we didn't think anybody would buy that and we didn't know what to do with it yeah i had the same experience because i bought a bunch of stuff and she, and i asked i said how much do you want for everything and she'd price it and she'd like look at me like is yeah. that okay and i said yeah that's fine and um i had bought a big brass elephant oh my god he's so cute and she looked at me she's like six dollars <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then after she had priced everything, I looked at her and I said, I just want you to know this is going to have a good home. I said, I have no intention of reselling any of this. This is going into my home, my collection, and I'm going to take really good care of it. And she just burst out into tears and she's like, I didn't know I needed to hear that. Mm -hmm. And she's like, No, they don't. Yeah. And she's like, you don't know how many people I've heard as we are going like doing this. She's like, I've heard so many people like, oh, they only want a dollar for this. I'm going to turn around and sell it for a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. And People she's are like, awful. yeah. And she's like, I didn't. She's like, I yeah. didn't know I needed somebody to tell me they're going to actually take care of things. And that and that sale is it was a woman that was a collector and probably a reseller. She had everything, everything. and they're going to have two more sales because there's still stuff in her house. 
Oh, yeah. And I mean, this woman had a full table of Ellie Smith stars and bars. Oh, wow. Every, like the uh, Amberina Ellie Smith. And she, I bought porcelain and copper bath knobs. Like she had everything. Oh, yeah. That's eclectic. She had architectural stuff. Oh, and porcelain dolls and lamps. And I mean, everything from French provincial to mid century. And see, that's one of the things you're talking about that people get rid of when we're talking about that architectural stuff the stuff they leave in the yard when they sell the house and you're like (gasps) you know Mm -hmm. did you really give that yeah but it's i love that you shared that because it really is like people they need to hear that they Mm -hmm. need to know that this is going somewhere even if you're a reseller we're gonna find a collector somewhere out there in the world this is now gonna have a new legend you know it's like Mm -hmm. it came from an estate in arizona and it moved to idaho and now it's in People used to love, I used to have a big map of every place I had shipped stuff in the world. And it was like, it was like 200 countries that I had shipped stuff. And it was like so cool to know that these things were going out there in the world, just like how Chinese antiques are real popular now, but they were all moved here in the 50s and 60s. And now they're going back home. You know, it's like they're returning home. But that that woman needed to hear that, that is really important because you know what they're also feeling? They're feeling guilty that they're selling it yeah. because they feel like they need to curate all of them stuff. But if they're not passionate or into it, I'm sure they kept the one thing that meant something to right. them. And then, of course, there's that one family member that comes in. I call him the locust. And they take all <laughs> the all the money stuff or stuff that someone mm-hmm. told them was worth a dollar because they're like, oh, this is worth money. I can't let my sister have it. You know, yeah. the, the estate sales stories. It's funny because one of my podcast ideas I was going to do was like, family therapy for, <laughs> for people, for people in transition, for mm-hmm. people like the ugly, I've seen families go to war over, yeah. you know, they have an estate over. My sister gave everything away. I was going to, you were going to squander and sit there for four years and have a dumpster and not think of the costs and paying mm-hmm. taxes on the house and all this stuff while you figure it out. Yeah. You know, so there's that person too, but to make someone's day, because I guarantee you, those were the emotions she was feeling guilty that she was selling this stuff, that she didn't care about it. Mm-hmm. You feel weird about that because yeah. people are generally good people. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, and your your parents' stuff is a is a uh, it's an extension of them. Yeah. You know, and if yeah. you grew up going to your mother's or your grandmother's house, and that stuff was always there, that stuff is her. Well, and that's that, what I told her too, because she was like, "I don't know why I feel like this," and I said, "These are your memories." Mm-hmm. I was like, and, "You're giving them away, and now you're feeling that." Yeah. It's funny. It's funny you say that. That's why I love my perspective that I got from dealing with my parents' estate Mm -hmm. was I knew what meant something to them and what was the sickness. Yeah. And a lot of people, and a lot of people, when they get away from their family for like, you know, 20 years, they haven't been home to visit grandma (laughs) and then they come back. They assume that all of these things meant something to her when it really wasn't, you know, and that's, or the, and I can always tell that I'll be like, your mom was a hoarder. She didn't mm-hmm. collect 10,000 bags because she wanted 10,000 bags. You know, mm-hmm. she collected because she had a, she had an illness to do this, but you can tell she really loved that because she see the marks there. She picked it up every single day. She used it. Yeah. So a lot of times there's that as well. So it's those things. And usually when I would walk into those situations doing an appraisal, I would say, you know, you remember your mom. What did she love most in this house? What meant something to her? And what do you fondly remember? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times it's, and they're like, well, I don't remember any of this. She didn't have this when I was a kid. Yeah. It's just junk she bought on QVC. You know, <laughs> she bought, you know, it's not, it's nothing. 
well, why did she collect a million dolls? Because Marie Osmond told her to. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah so. that's the, yeah. Oh my God, Josh, we could talk to you for 400 more hours. I have so <laughs> many more questions. Um, before we get to today's estate sale walkthrough, where can our listeners find all of your stuff online? Where can they find yeah, you? Yeah, Josh Levine Speaks. Uh, it's joshlevinespeaks.com. Uh, my blog's on there. Uh, YouTube, it's Josh Levine Speaks is my channel. I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook. I, Instagram, I'm terrible with. So follow me on Facebook. <laughs> we'll help you. We'll help you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's funny. I got a lot of followers, but I just, I can't, I need to share more of my personal experience than what I do on there. I like to do quirky ads and business stuff. And it's, I just need to, my, my daughter who's been trying to break in the room is who should be on, on the, on, on Instagram. Uh, yeah, uh, my three year old's upstairs with my husband right now. Exactly. Stomping. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're in. Yeah. Is it the dinosaur song? No, he just has okay. heavy feet. Yeah. He, does, <laughs> oh, yeah, he just yeah. doesn't give a shit. He just runs. It's just that. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so no, she's being great. She normally will bust in on most, most of my meetings. Um, but yeah. So. I'm trying to think YouTube's pretty much my biggest one I'm, I'm promoting right now. Mm-hmm. And of course my books on Amazon, uh, a lot of, you can get it in every different way under the sun, two ninety nine. And I listened Kindle. to it and it was great. I really learned a lot listening to it. So, and it was a pretty fast listen. Yeah. Know? It's not, it's not, a, it's not, it's not a novel. That's <laughs> but, and, and yeah, and I'm working on a new one. I hope to have out in a couple of weeks. So I'll probably only do an ebook for it, but it's going to be 52 genre, strange things people collect. 52 genres. So it's like 52, uh. like those firecracker labels and, and perfume bottles and all those things. And the reason I wrote it is to make you go, when you walk into an estate sale or you walk in a yard sale or you walk in a thrift store, you're not going, Oh, they don't have any toys today. Mm-hmm. Oh, they don't yeah. have any. They don't have yeah. any. I want, well, they didn't have any toys, but do they have any art? And art is the one. Art is a thing. Yeah. So anyway, I see. So I can. Yeah. Before <laughs> we always ask, before we get into the estate sale walkthrough, what is your estate sale? process when you go to an estate sale where do you go first what are you doing yeah my estate i i try to walk it i try to walk every nook and cranny but i try to do a perimeter i'm like i like don't want to miss a room Mm -hmm. and i don't like to be erratic about it i keep my head down one of my favorite things and this is oh man i'm gonna admit this (laughs) i love wearing i love wearing a mask yeah the reason for several reasons hidden Yes, the anonymity <laughs> of it. Plus, people aren't going, "Hey, man, I watch your YouTube video," because they do. And this mm-hmm. time, they're like, "I watch your YouTube video." I'm like, "I'm trying to buy this painting and not let on that I know stuff about stuff." You know, so, so shut up. Yeah, so I like walk. I walk around the perimeter and I'm looking for all. You know, I I usually look at the art. I look at the architectural stuff in the backyard that people don't know. I go to where they'll have the jewelry cases and try to look at what they have there records books i call books scratch off lottery tickets i always look for books my husband's Ele- gonna be happy to hear that yes <laughs> books or scratch off lottery tickets vintage electronics definitely vintage electronics like the old stereo that everyone thinks is garbage typewriters have been huge i've been looking for typewriters cameras i look for cameras and if they don't have those i ask i'll say because a lot of times they'll put that stuff away or they'll go, oh, you know somebody that wants that i've i've been offered coin collections and jewelry just from saying Hey, you know, do you know anyone that has any jewelry or coins or collectibles, that kind of thing? That's my, that's my niche. And they'll tell you, you know, or they'll say, no, I don't, but the neighbor does and he wants to sell it. I mean, you'll learn by talking, be outgoing, be friendly. Mm -hmm. That's my technique. 
as far as that goes, and I try to find staff and talk to them, engage with them, mm-hmm. just to let them know what I'm looking for. Because a lot of times they do know something that you don't know. Or to find out provenance. When you grab, when you get a painting or something interesting like that, you say, hey, do you know if this has been in their family for a long time? Mm-hmm. And you'll get the story. Because you can drive yourself nutty trying to find provenance if if you have to do it by the address after the fact. Yeah. You know. Well, I bought I recently bought an almost 4 foot tall velvet Elvis painting. Oh yeah. And I got it for Get your black light. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. It's I and I bought two black light ones that are anyways, they were just funny cuz they were like we have these ones but we were, don't think anybody wants these. And I was like I want them cuz they were ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And I asked them, I said, "Where how long have you had this? Where did this come from?" And she told the whole story of how their mom brought it back from Mexico on vacation, carried it home, all that stuff and I'm like, "Great." And I always ask at estate sales, I ask either the people running it, I go, "What did this person do for a living?" Yes, very important because you'll also I can tell what they collected when they tell me. Yeah. Like, you know, like I this a lot of times I know what they do for a living from walking their estate sale. This last estate I just did in uh, Paradise Valley, which uh, gold mine, I'm listing all the stuff this weekend. It uh, was a gold mine, uh, mid-century stuff, and I walked up I'm like, he was a surgeon. Like, oh. how did you know? All the pens in his drawers. There was all, yeah, you know, yeah. Dr. so and so, blah blah blah, <laughs> and he has who has a, you know, who has a um binocular microscope on their desk. I mean, it just you know, from 1983, you just right. don't, you know, so, but, but knowing that then you knew like, Hey, this guy probably had money. So his art probably isn't junk. Yeah. You know, like some prints, especially if they're not in a genre you like, mm-hmm. you know, by knowing, like you said, knowing what they do will tell you what they have. And then it's also, know. maybe it's a cheater thing, but it's also, if somebody's revealing that bit of information to you, they don't think it's that big of a bit of information. If it's, yes. You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And again, sometimes it's just they want to share it because mm-hmm. you cared. At, they find it endearing and you might get a discount. Yes. <laughs> right? Seriously. <laughs> yeah. They go, you know what? For you, it's $10. For that jerk over there just told me they're going to make 100 bucks off my dollar. You know? I yeah. Well, that. and it also, if you leave your information, if it's something like I did with the house in Blackfoot, there was something I wanted that I offered them something and they didn't take it. And then a couple weeks later, I got a message. Hey, let's make a deal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's always good to talk to people. Yeah. Speaking of making a deal, and it's the time of the show where we've had such a great time with the guest, and I ruin it all in the estate sale <laughs> walkthrough because yeah. I I tend yeah. to go for the kneecaps a little bit oh, yeah. on this. Yeah, so, you definitely go for blood half the yeah. time. For Do those it. of you not familiar with this part of the show, every week I write an imaginary estate sale walkthrough. It could be an estate sale, a swap meet, a barn find. Whatever floats my boat that week. And it's generally geared toward our guests' interest. Now, the longer the shows go on and the wiser people get, it's getting harder to find some information. (laughs) And I've learned from having appraisers on in the past, if I put one thing that costs a lot of money, they're always going to go for that. So I learned a little bit on this walkthrough. So every week you have um, different options to choose from in each scenario. They're all real things that exist in the real world. They're from eBay, Etsy, WorthPoint. All those places, the only catch is you can only pick one of the items listed in each scenario. You are responsible for finding your own loopholes. We will not tell you how to do that. Okay. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. So today we are rummaging through several different estate sales in the Arizona Valley. We are ready to shop. We've all brought our different SUVs and we're ready to do it. We got our coffee, sunscreen. (laughs) I have a personal (laughs) neck cooler and fan. Yeah. And we're stopping first at a house that has been lived in for a long time by a retiree that moved down to Arizona in her 40s. 
We'd start digging through the basement first because the first floor is crazy. We go downstairs and the first thing we see laid out on the table is the entire collection of her son's Hot Wheels. Okay. There's three different types of Hot Wheels, particularly that we can choose from. And they're all originals. Simpson Hot Wheels, Halloween Hot Wheels, or Star Wars Hot Wheels. I was hoping you'd say Redline. What was the first one? <laughs> Simpsons, The Simpsons, uh-huh. Halloween, or Star Wars. I had to make it kind of layman's. Star Wars. Okay. I, I mean, it's a... Yeah, Don't I, get too comfy, though, Josh. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not comfy. <laughs> Joe, no, and I know Hot Wheels. That's why I was like, wait a second. <laughs> uh, I think I would go Star Wars, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would have to go Star Wars or my husband. But it's also, I love Halloween. I know, you do love oh, I yeah. thought you were going to go Halloween. I'm going to go Halloween. My husband will probably divorce me, but I'm going to go with Halloween. <laughs> All right. Next, we have a table full of different pieces of art. Okay. I'm not going to go into too much detail or type on these. Okay. There is Japanese silk art, unmarked surrealist art, or an impressionist oil figure painting. What would I buy currently today? The surrealist. Ooh. Oh, I'd go impressionist. Jill's a big art fan. I would go for the silk art because it's just dreamy. It is dreamy. All right. Last but not least is a collection of guitars. We have a Sunburst Fender Stratocaster pre-CBS with rosewood fretboard, an Epiphone Emperor VC Sunburst arch top, or a heavy metal chopper Gene Simmons <laughs> signature guitar. The Fender. Okay. Smart. I'm going to go the Gene Simmons one. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> I am also going to go the Fender because I know that that's a really valuable guitar. Yeah, pre-CBS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had two Fender experts on the show. One, we have a friend that is a professional luthier. And the other one, we had Terry Foster, who wrote The Golden Age of Fender on the show. And I was like, I don't know anything about guitars. And now I feel a little bit better about it. <laughs> you should have had me on a roundtable. You know, I owned a vintage musical instrument shop for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's. Yeah, I was like, I, I messaged Eric this morning. I said, I need some. I need some. Make sure that these are the right things to choose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. That is the estate sale walkthrough. It was hard to write for. It's always hard to write for an appraiser because you guys oh, no. know everything. <laughs> and you're not tied to it. Like some of our other guests will be like, oh, a tabletop lighter. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, it'd be fun. It, it actually would be fun to do this like as a game show with people who right? had oh, no yeah. idea. Because it'd be like, it's got to be the Gene Simmons base, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And that's the thing is every every time we do it, well, I'll see the guests look at me through the camera to be like, wow, you really just <laughs> made me. It's like picking children to some people. <laughs> oh, no, no. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Josh, for being on the show today. I can't wait for our listeners to find and discover you. All of the links will be listed on our website as well as our Instagram at the Mothball Prophecies original. Be sure to stay tuned for this week's Curio Corner, where we dive a little bit deeper into some of the stuff we talked about today with Josh. I think that my brain had like a little bit of a meltdown after the information that we covered in this episode. And it went by so quickly that our time went by so fast. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm just like, Oh man, this is like a great interview. We could talk forever. And then you like, look at the time and you're like, Oh, we have been talking forever. Yeah. And I was like, there's so much that I wanted to get to and that I wanted to cover. And then there was lots of terms we talked about that I had never heard of in this episode. I know. And he was like, he, it's like he did our job for us Mm -hmm. for the curio corner. He did. And we, we riddled it down to 
just a couple of terms that were left. And Jill and I were sitting down and we were like, oh, we just have a couple of these things to go over pretty quick. And then we started looking them up and we're like, how is there still so much about I- these two things? <laughs> I, know. I know. So one of them, he kept saying N-A-A, the N-A-A. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, like both of us were just doing this like nod just like yeah uh-huh. and it's like i feel like i should know this i should know this because it's national auctioneers association oh. which he talked about going to auctioneer school yes which i didn't know there was a school for auctioneers which from the sounds of it you could go to a great one or go to a not so great one kind of like i know like schools. right or is it yeah i mean now you can go to nursing school everywhere. Is it becoming like that? Mm-hmm. Um, but so they have their own website. It's auctioneers.org. There is a lot of information. I could not find the <laughs> bullet points or footnotes to <laughs> this is what we are. This is how much it is. This is what you get. But it was founded in 1949 and is the world's largest professional association dedicated to auction professionals. Um, And it's headquartered in Overland Park, Kansas, and it represents the interests of thousands of auction professionals in the U.S., Canada, and across the world. Wow. So Kansas, you've made your mark. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a member-based organization represents a range of auction professionals who service a variety of industries. The association is dedicated to providing its members with educational programming and resources to help them advance themselves and in turn the industry. Then there's like this, this huge list of like strict code of ethics and like these seminars and like they have a sexual, like a harassment policies and like it is yeah so if you guys want to go and look at that i will let you know you do that however everybody should know april 26th through may 1st is national auctioneers week so get that auctioneer something special we missed it this year but next year you better get them a really nice gift time to make a paper chain so you don't forget again put it in your (laughs) phone well and i always find it interesting like when you're finding about other aspects of the vintage and antique world, there's lots of organizations that deal in different cells of the world of antiques or vintage, right? Uh-huh. And another name that he was saying while we were talking was GIA, right? And it was in reference to diamonds and gemstones in particular, obviously. Um, this information I'm pulling because it's the briefest um, cut of it because this institute ran, is from 1931 is when it officially started to now. So the institute I'm talking about is the Gemological Institute of America or GIA. This is from Wikipedia and it's a non-profit institute and it's dedicated to the research and education in the field of gemology and jewelry art. And they're the organization or institution that came up with the four C's, which is cut, clarity, carrot, and color. Color. Yes. So it started in 1931 when there was lots of different uh, jewelers and people making jewelry in the world. And also there was lots of like falsehoods coming out of it, like certain diamonds that maybe weren't a diamond, like crystal or something being declared. So they started down this path of a grading system, a diamond grading system in 1953. Um, 
The GIA started back in 1920s with Robert M. Shipley. And Shipley has been enjoying a successful career as a jeweler, but was coming to realize the unfortunate state of the gem and jewelry industry. A typical jeweler in the U.S., himself included, had a surprising lack of expertise when it came to jewelry and precious stones. He took it upon himself to bring change to that market. And in doing so, they came up with all of the different, like, every pretty much everything you see in the gem industry for identification, classification, and all of those things was made up and invented by the GIA. The first GIA gemological laboratory was established in Los Angeles in 1931. And shortly thereafter, the Institute introduced the certified gemologist professional designation. Since that time of starting it, GIA is actively engaged in research through the advanced science of gemology. Historically, research has focused on developing methods and technologies to accurately identify and characterize gems. The research has produced significant advances in the ability to differentiate gems and identify simulants. GIA is also responsible for the first modern diamond grading reports, where it introduced grading methodologies for diamond color and diamond clarity. The other thing that was interesting is if you've ever been into a jewelry store and heard like GM, GIA certified or GIA marked, that's half true because the GIA is a um, nonprofit organization that does not deal, trade, or sell any type of diamonds. They simply just do the identification of them. They've never sold and are not involved in the diamond trade, which I found was really interesting. Oh. So the GIA instruments, this was also another interesting, it designs and manufactures professional equipment for grading, identifying, and selling diamonds and colored gemstones. These instruments are used to determine the physical and optical properties of gems and analyze their microscopic features. The first GIA instrument was a 10 times eye loop. It was introduced in early 1930s. Dark field illumination is a lighting technique that makes the gem inclusions easily visible in the microscope. So that would be like little impurities inside of the gem. And it was patented later by Robert Shipley Jr., the son of the founder. And it was an important figure in gemological instrumentation. In addition to basic jeweler's tools such as loos, tweezers, and gem cloths, the GIA Instruments product catalog includes sophisticated instruments ranging, ranging from microscopes to spectroscopes. Hmm. So it's kind of the corner of the industry of making sure that something is what it is and that it's worth what you need. So I think when you're having things appraised and they're appraised with the GIA, you can definitely tell somebody, you know, that this is the heart of the ocean or whatever. <laughs> you know, I remember like growing up, my grandpa always bought a ring for my grandma every Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I would go into the jewelry store with them. Our family has always gone to Ingram's here in Idaho Falls. Oh, yeah. And so I'd go in. And I just remember like looking in all the cases. And when I got married, I was able to pick my diamond out of this old ass index card box that had these <laughs> manila envelopes. It seemed like the worst diamond storing system known to man. Like they just carry this old box out and they start rifling through and they're picking and they hand you this manila envelope with a diamond. <laughs> that seems very safe. Yeah. It seems like if somebody wanted hypothetically to take I guess maybe it's a better thing because they're like, who the fuck is going to think that they keep all of the diamonds in this shitty? Well, what if like you could just see, I bet they got into an argument one time where like the white, he's like, it's in, 
The papers are in the manila envelope. Make sure you get them sent off. Okay, I will. And then she sends them off. <laughs> and then he starts yelling, woman, where's my diamonds? Mm-hmm. And she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I totally see that. I shredded them. I ran them through the shredder. <laughs> you told me to send that manila envelope. No, I told you the white envelope. That was where oh. the problems began. Just heard envelope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I... I I guess I just don't pay attention to fine jewelry that much to like. No, I mean, no, like I have seen something like our parents and grandparents were more into like when mm-hmm. we when I got married, my husband was like saving money for a big ass diamond because he thought that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I told him I wanted a sapphire and he was just like, huh? <laughs> Why would you want that? Like, really? Those are way cheaper. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. so yeah and but then now they have these rubber like rings yeah you wear like the they, silicone gym yeah rings. and my husband and i joke all the time if they would have had these when we were getting engaged and married we would have just bought these and sent saved us some change mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i i was oh how old was i when i got when i picked my ring out i was probably i don't know 19 God dang it. That just feels so strange to think about. (laughs) Maybe 20. Maybe it was the summer of when I was 20. And I remember like picking something out and I was like, I don't ever want to get like tired of looking at this. And when Mm -hmm. I was getting married, it was when princess cut diamonds were really popular. The square diamonds. Mm -hmm. And where we are from, there is a particular aesthetic. And everybody kind of follows it and so i was like if no surprise to literally anybody i was like i'm not gonna do what everybody else is doing and i always liked old shit and so i picked a ring that looked like it was already on a grandma's hand <laughs> but it's white gold it's not gold gold because that was also not in vogue when no yeah mine is let's see i think my it's like almost a carrot sapphire i mm, think and then it beautiful. has diamonds um like it's connected and it has little diamonds on it and then my band my wedding band is diamonds little tiny diamonds and it's white gold but once you start working as a nurse Mm -hmm. it's not the best to wear your ring no my friend almost lost her main diamond out of her ring because one of the prongs had come out Mm -hmm. it got caught and she didn't notice it and um Luckily, she looked down, and as she looked down, the diamond fell out. Oh, God. (laughs) She's like, my heart stopped. She's like, and then I was a paranoid mess the rest of my shift because it was in my pocket. She didn't have time to go put it in her car or anything. (laughs) That's a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, they're not cheap. We're going to have to put our pictures of our rings up. For this episode. Oh, we will. Yeah. And I got, so my ring, it was kind of like one of the first sets of rings doing this where they squared off the corners instead oh, yeah. of keep, so it doesn't spin. Cause that's the, the, with my hands wet all day, sometimes a ring will just spin and spin and spin. Mm-hmm. And this ring, my ring doesn't spin at all. Yeah. Tammy's is that way. Mine's not, but I never had any trouble with it spinning. I had to get it resized though mm. after I got pregnant. Because my fingers did not go back to their originals. <laughs> to their dainty. <laughs> to their dainty little selves. Well, and my this, my husband's wedding ring is was his stepfather's grandfather's 
and it was handmade in jewel in Germany. Oh, cool. And my husband's stepfather was like 70 something when he died. So his, it was over a hundred years old, but wow. the, the man that wore it, his wedding ring size, Jill was like a 12 or 13. Holy shit. Yeah. So, oh my God, was he a giant? I think so. So they were given this 12 or 13 size diamond. And then we got my husband's ring size and they remelted the gold and re-poured it into a new band. So when you hold the ring, it feels so much heavier than what it actually is. Yeah, I bet. You, when you're here on Sunday, you're going to have to. Damn, because like, let's see, my ring, I think is a seven and a half. Mm. It's like two of those. Yeah. I think my wedding ring size is a nine. And then, yeah. But That's it's just crazy. It's crazy to think about. There's been a lot of, um, we don't have a lot of stuff for, for the curio with Josh this week. But we've had a couple interesting things like over the last couple weeks for Jill and I. I've done a little bit more family history research. And I was on the phone talking with my mom and I was just looking through the family history and my Swedish heritage goes back to the 1600s. Shut up. No way. In Sweden. Like I was just clicking. I was like, okay, this person's. And that is maternal and paternal sides. Holy shit. For both sides of my grandpa's. I was like, what? I told a client that this week and they started laughing. They said, you couldn't be any more Scandinavian if you tried. And I said, no, I couldn't. I it could. explains so much. Mm -hmm. Well, then my cousin came in and she had, you know how when you have your different families, right? And they all have their different family pictures. Mm -hmm. She brought in some pictures that I had never seen of like my grandpa and my dad and different parts of my life. And then seeing members of my family and being like, oh, my God, this is where I get my shoulders from and my hips. And just like, <laughs> I was like, what is happening? It's just it's. It's weird to like, and it. I was impressed because my, I wasn't impressed, but I was flattered. My cousin was like, I was, because you had the interview that you had with, it would be her aunt, Jackie, my grandma. She said it made me want to go into a deeper dive of our family history on my own and start connecting those dots myself rather than going the other way. But that was, that was my interesting week. And then it was a really great week picking. And then Jill and I ended up with the same glass fruit bowl in two very no. different ways. <laughs> I know when you texted me that because I showed everybody and we have this. I'm like, I, I'm not surprised. No. Because that's how we roll. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is, it's fun now. Like we, you and I went to, I don't remember, I don't think we talked about this last week, but we went to a couple of the same different garage sales. Mm -hmm. And we do this thing where I'll walk by something and I'll be like, it's cute, but that's for Jill. Or this yeah. is cute. And then we'll, message each other later and be like so what did you get and we're <laughs> sending messages like oh i didn't get that because i knew you would want it <laughs> or we'll get it for each other because we know other people are staring at it mm -hmm. and i'm always like they're like oh you're gonna get that yep sure am mm -hmm. not for you yeah I was like today I was talking before we started recording I went to the DI with my son and it was like middle of the day right You'd, I just don't expect to find anything great in the middle of the day and I'm always mm -hmm. surprised because I was walking down the glass aisle and I saw this bright green circle staring back at me <laughs> and I stopped and I went you've got to be shitting me <laughs> out loud and I walk over and I had um, these little black keychain fobs 
that we are sending out to our Patreon members here shortly. They, my mother-in-law gave them to me. They're little keychains. And so I pulled my keys out of my pocket instead of my big flashlight. And I pressed it and it glowed and it matches the one I found recently, but it's in much better shape. But I was just like, what is my luck? I never saw that shit in the wild before the show. Well, and that's what I was trying to think too, because I went, so after that big yard sale that we both went to, I went to the Goodwill and I found more brass along. It it doesn't match exactly to the ones I bought, but it was pretty damn close. And I was just like, what? Okay. So now brass and glassware are my thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then I had a friend today. She sent me a picture. Um, she's like, we're helping a friend move and we're cleaning out their yard or their garage. Would you be interested in any of this? And she sent me a picture and it's all sterling silver, like pots and dish, like serving ware and candlesticks and all this. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, I would. <laughs> and then she was like, I don't know what the history is. It. She's like, she said they, they got it from India. They don't know all about it or anything like that. She's like, but some of them are pretty cool. And I was just like, yeah, you just, you just send them on my way. And then I had a friend today ask me, she's like, what do you do with all your stuff? And I was like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm collecting it because one of my best friends, her niece is getting married and we're throwing her a bridal shower. And so I've been collecting a lot of this stuff for that. And she was like, oh, are you like renting it to her? And I was just like, no, but that's a really good idea. <laughs> now that you mention it. Huh. I was like, huh, that could, that could be something. There was um, the Rademakers went to this like bed and breakfast. It was in a really old building in Michigan. And the serving sets for the bed and breakfast were all vintage tea sets and depression glass and all of that stuff. And I was like, what a great idea. That's the one thing, like, I think having the show has made me feel a little less like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not afraid to use my glassware now, like for everyday things, like, Mm -hmm. especially my depression glass, like using it for barbecues or when I have people over or even just when I'm cooking like using a little depression glass dish as a ramekin yeah yeah no it was funny because um Ethan's dad when his parents were down he was talking about all this glassware that his Ethan's grandma had and nobody wanted and he's like well is that something you guys be interested in and Ethan's like yeah absolutely and he was like, yeah, I think it would look really good displayed in one of these cabinets you got. And I'm like, yeah, we're, we won't display it. We'll just use it. Mm-hmm. His mom about had a heart attack because I used some vintage glassware because I made um, mint juleps while they were down. And she was just like, I can't. We can't use these. I'm like, yeah, we can. Mm-hmm. I only paid for a dollar for them. It's fine. Like. Like, this is what I buy my stuff for. I use it. I don't. What's the point of looking at it? Mm -hmm. When I saw somebody was putting their like piece of Pyrex that they had been trying to find for a while. And it was that fucking orange daisy bowl that I broke. Yeah. Is going to haunt me for the rest of my (laughs) life. But I was actually using it. And I've switched out almost all of my plastic bowls to vintage mixing bowls that are safe Mm -hmm. to use for food. Yeah. Yeah, that is the disclaimer. I don't use the ur- uranium glass. No. 
I actually I was using um, the uranium glass cake plate, the first one that I got that was really chippy. I was mm-hmm. using it as a plant stand. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. But I recently, oh, God, we didn't talk about it on here. I posted on the Instagram. I bought these three metal canisters from the Goodwill, kitchen canisters. And they were mm-hmm. definitely from a smoker's house. They're stained yellow. But I was like, they're so cute. They have a little rose pattern. And I was like, I'm looking for cute vintage stuff to put in my greenhouse in my shed for yeah. my gardening stuff is my excuse. And I picked these tins up and I was like, oh, these feel really heavy. And I opened it and I saw at the top, I saw two other vintage, like one tobacco tin and one is for Mazda Edison lights for your car. So I was like, yep. So I put them in the thing. And then I saw, which it's not uncommon to see a shell casing here anywhere. (laughs) So I get home and I'm going through everything because I looked down and I saw there was a 45 millimeter shell casing, which people just keep. So I get home. I'm going to look at the tins and I pull everything out and I notice that there are not just spent casings. There is live ammunition inside of these canisters. And I just was like, I mean, I get it because I know like why you would do that. But like Goodwill, check your shit. Yeah, there's going to be a policy like find a bullet, pull it out. I just stick it in this bin. Open the stuff. What if like somebody's ashes were in there? I wonder if they were like shaking it and just being like, oh, it's like a rattle. Yeah. $1.99. Yeah. I just, I was just like, okay. I don't know. I don't know. I found, I've had some really great thrift store luck lately. And that's been fun. With vintage find the wild. And Linda's got a great sale coming up. Oh my God. That's like I don't even want to share it with people because. I've had so many people be like, oh, are you going to Linda's sale? I'm going to go too. And I'm like, no, you're not. Mm -mm. You're going to stay home and you're not going to buy. Are we going to leave early? Are we going together? First of all, are we taking separate vehicles? I have to check my work schedule. You have to call in dead that day. (laughs) I'll punch you in the mouth to get you out of work. Be like, guys, um, I had to go to the ER on Wednesday because I got punched in the face and now I can't see. Mm-hmm. So I won't be there for the next two days. Maybe that'll bring your taste and smell back. Just one more traumatic injury. <laughs> I know. I have a reach officially reached long hauler status I'm sorry. because I still don't have smeller taste. And I was like, I don't, I don't want it. Can I like give it back? Yeah, I hate like, this for you. Like I don't, I don't need it. Like, no, you're gonna get them back, and you're just gonna be so overstimulated. <laughs> That's what I'm worried about. Like I'm worried, like one day it just all hits me, like because it's like I haven't been able to smell anything. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really worried, like I'll start smelling, and then everything will come at me, and I'll just be like, my brain can't stop this, and it's all like just one smell of shit. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Have you tried smelling salts? Uh, no, I've, so somebody told me to smell, um, oils like citrus, peppermint, mm-hmm. and I can't remember what the other one is. And like citrus, I can kind of smell anyways, peppermint, I smell and it just doesn't smell right. And then somebody told me I should try eating like the different tastes, like something sour, something salty, oh. something sweet, something, I can't remember the other one, but. I was like, yeah, I just don't want to. <laughs> thanks, I'm but like, no thanks. I'm like, 
pretty sure that's not going to do anything. Yeah. So uh, anyways, the estate sale sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I just hate that you still don't have your taste and sell. And I feel so incredibly guilty that I have mine. Everybody does. Everybody does. Cause we'll like, we'll go over to a, um, our friend's house and we had barbecue and I made potato salad. And I always have to do a disclaimer. I'm like, all right, I made it, but I didn't taste it. If it tastes bad, it's Ethan's problem, like fault, <laughs> one of the kids' fault. And everybody's just like, like they're like, it's really good. I don't know if I should tell you it's really good because you can't taste it and I feel bad. I'm like, it's fine. I'm like, I'm so like over it. It's just fine. I just wish I could taste Diet Coke. I crave it so bad Mm -hmm. and i just can't get that (laughs) oh i just hate this so much (laughs) i hate it so much for you i know ethan's like there's got to be a doctor i'm like no honey like this is new (laughs) is there a facebook group you could join of the there is actually there's like several groups out there and ethan's like because he knows somebody that's in the same situation as me and they joined this face group for the long haulers, especially for the smell and taste. And she's like, it's been really great. Like, and you know, it's, I'm like, yeah, I just kind of would be like, yeah, none of us can taste or smell. Why are you bitching about it? What do you want me to do? I'm not going to hug you. (laughs) Then you'll hear some weird medical advice. It's not medical advice in there. And you'll just leave. You're like, I can't be a part of this. I can't. I know my mom was really, really hoping that the burnt orange and brown sugar thing was a real thing. And I'm like, no, I did. Somebody did tell me if I took a bleach bath, that would help. (laughs) Do people realize that skin is your largest organ? Do people realize this, (laughs) that we are just just a sponge? And I said like, like just a whole bleach bath bath and he's like well not pure bleach it's like a 50 50 mixture like that made it better (laughs) just a quick disclaimer we here at the mothball prophecies do not endorse bleach baths eating from uranium glass using fiesta wear that is older than the 1930s just to put that all jill is a medical professional but is not giving you medical advice no i am actually telling you don't do that please don't Please don't. But we were joking with, so Linda posted this estate sale and I had heard her kind of talking about having this sale that was an old antique store owner's kind of liquidation. Yeah. And she posted the photos. The other day she always posts great photos. And I instantly put like, I have to start training for this. I, there's so much stuff. And then I tagged there's Jill. so much Oh my stuff. God. And I said, I said, this if is this like is in our, the pictures, um, what's hiding? Yeah, and this is like, you know, like how the Spartan has like the beast and the hat. Mm-hmm. This is our sprint. Mm-hmm. We, so we're training now, guys. I'm going to start hydrating. I'm going to get a camel pack for the day. I know. I feel like I'm going to get like, I'm going to wear a backpack on the back and on the front. And then maybe some fanny packs on the sides because I got to be able to put stuff. Uh-huh. We almost need a runner for the hold table to be like, get, put it on the hold table. Put it. Well, you know, it can be Ethan because he wants to come too. Okay. See? Dustin yeah, will have and my children child. will probably come. So, and my children will probably come so we can use them as well. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. 
my um i went to that garage sale last week with my mother-in-law and she messaged mm-hmm. me after she's like i had really fun a lot of fun this weekend she goes it was nice and funny to see you in your element she's like you don't fuck around she was like you were like laser <laughs> focus moving so quickly looking for stuff and doing and i was like oh yeah it gets kind of intense and like my sister-in-law was trying to talk to me i'm like i love you so much but i can't talk right now like i just need to move through this one time and then we can chat i don't want to miss anything i know well when i went there was a there, it was there wasn't a ton of people there but there was a good amount and the way it was set up oh. it was like super skinny and like there wasn't a lot of room to move around and i was trying to be so polite but yet so assertive to people to get out of my way mhm <laughs> mhm and it was a lot of like up and down and under the tables like just tilting your head so much under the tables like i was afraid i was going to miss things because i was like there's a lot under the tables but like well with that green depression glass lid Mm -hmm. it was like the only thing i'm like okay where's your friend (laughs) i feel like your friend should be here somewhere did (laughs) did you just get left behind like hello where are you (laughs) yeah yeah it was it's definitely having the show this long has made going out and looking for things so much more enjoyable and exciting because Mm -hmm. we have this really, we've had like a crash course in vintage of seeing what everybody's collecting and what their eyes are out for. It's a sickness. Let's not call it a sickness. In the best way. Because I don't want to be healed of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. It's a hobby. It is. And it's so fun. And we share a lot more of when we're out and about in our private lives over with our friends on the Patreon. We share stuff there. We're sharing videos and different things now over in the Patreon. We just did our first uh, merch perk for the Patreon where they got a percentage off and the two top tiers got a bonus gift. And that was really fun to be able to finally offer that. We have Mm -hmm. wanted to offer a merch code for a long time, but we are just finally able to do that. We have the new bag in production right now. It's going to be adorable. It's just shaping up to be a great vintage summer. It is. It's. I'm really looking forward to. I mean, we're just hitting. It's just the iceberg. Just mm-hmm. the tip. And a couple things before we leave today. Be sure to check out Josh Levine speaks on all of the platforms. He's on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of those things. He has lots of great YouTube videos up for you to watch and see some different identification. Thank you guys for listening this week. We want to now take this time to thank our most glorious patrons. Yes. Thanks to Emily in Nevada, Aaron in Wisconsin, RJ in Florida, Crystal in Nevada, Gina in South Carolina, Julia in Sweden, Jasmine in Kentucky, Kyla in Indiana, Shanna, Mandy, and Riley in California, Aaron, TC Lionel, Melissa, Christina, Erica, Becky, and Ashley. In the good state of Idaho, the great potato state. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to follow us along on all the nonsense. The Mothball Prophecies original on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to check us out on TikTok. Follow us wherever you follow. And also share us with your friends and family. If you have friends that are interested in the vintage world and love stories just as much as we do, be sure to tell them about the Mothball Prophecies. And as always, especially this summer, we hope you find some good shit. And I hope you look under those tables. Bye. Yeah.